Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I've seen quite a few videos on social media recently of young women soliciting help in finding the perfect dress for graduation. Might I suggest you add Macy's to your list? They have lots of options for dresses that will transition perfectly from under your gown to that incredible dinner with family after the ceremony. Check out options from brands like On 34th, Michael Kors, DKNY, and many more. Shop at Macy's.com or in-store. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. Buying your first car can make you feel like a superstar as it's a big purchase, but it can take time to get there. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit helps you take control of your finances through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. You may have heard that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? Regardless of blood type, every day our blood saves lives and eases the pain of those living with sickle cell. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. Welcome to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, a weekly conversation about mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information or to find a therapist in your area, visit our website at therapyforblackgirls.com. While I hope you love listening to and learning from the podcast, 
It is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for session 130 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. Today, we're digging into some of the particular challenges that come with being a Black woman in a leadership role. For this conversation, I was joined by Yunetta Smith. Yunetta is a licensed professional counselor, mental health service provider, and nationally certified counselor in Tennessee. She's the founder of Springforth Counseling and a clean beauty advocate working to educate her community on the importance of self-care by reducing their toxic footprint. Yunetta strives to change the face of therapy one person at a time. She's a certified EMDR therapist and treats childhood trauma that manifests in adulthood. She's also passionate about destigmatizing mental illness and promoting mental wellness within faith-based communities. Yunetta and I chatted about how to manage perfectionism and burnout as a leader, concerns related to connecting authentically with others, and the importance of creating self-care routines. If you hear something that connects with you while listening, please be sure to share with us on social media using the hashtag TVGNSession. Here's our conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today, Yunetta. Thank you for having me, Dr. Joy. Yeah, I'm excited to hear about this, you know, especially as we hear more and more Black women kind of climbing the ranks in their corporate spaces and becoming entrepreneurs and just, you know, being active and leading different kinds of organizations. I do think that there are some particular challenges that come with being a Black woman in a leadership kind of a position. And I know you work a lot with these types of women in your practice. So I'm happy you were able to join us today for this conversation. So so are there particular themes that you have found kind of among your clients who are Black women in leadership positions, like particular challenges that you think that they're struggling with? Yeah, absolutely. Like working with Black women in leadership positions, I noticed that there was like this trend that was happening with them and some of the language and some of the insecurities and some of the challenges that they experienced. So what I typically have them broken down by is just like the pressures that come with having a platform and being a Black woman in leadership and the pain that comes along with that position. And then the process of how it's so difficult to like be transparent in those spaces. So those are kind of like the three points that I'll cover just to kind of clarify what that looks like. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so I love that breakdown. So talk to me about the pressures of having a platform. So the pressures of having the platform mainly are associated with that just the increased responsibility. Being a woman, being a Black woman in a leadership position, there is this idea of perfection that comes along with it. We all know a lot about, I'm sure, like the Black tax, where it's We have to put in more effort. We have to almost be flawless with our presentation because we already have a disadvantage just because of being a woman and also being a black woman, you know. So there is an increased responsibility that comes along with that. One thing that I like to communicate to the women that I work with is just understanding, you know, what you are responsible for. And one of those things is not necessarily completely with how other people view you. 
So knowing that just because you may be more qualified for the job, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's your job. Leaders being careful not to take on too many tasks, not to do things that will enable the people around them and get stuck in a cycle of like codependency where people are coming to them and like completely dependent on them. So I want to I want to stop here, Unetta, because you have already now we got to take a moment here uh, Uh because I think that this is something a lot of us struggle with. Right. Like this idea that especially like if you're capable. So you're somebody who has been kind of like high achieving and doing a lot of things in your life. Right. Like there is this expectation that you can do it easier or like it's not going to take you as much time. And so then you wind up just assuming all of these tasks. And yes, you may be able to do and get them all done, but at what expense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, just because you can doesn't mean that you need to. And I think as a Black woman in a leadership position, there's already that pressure that I can't say no, or um, there's already so many expectations that are placed on you that it's very difficult to pull back and to delegate. Mm-hmm. Okay. So are there other pressures that you've seen kind of associated with people having like these leadership platforms? Yeah. Another pressure would be the perception of perfection. So I kind of got into that a little bit previously, but I think perfectionism is, is a tricky, touchy subject right now because a lot of people pride themselves on being perfectionists. Like perfectionism is like one of those things that is not okay to have, but it's kind of okay to have Mm -hmm. because people use the term really loosely, like being a perfectionist or like, oh, I'm just I'm OCD. So basically the way they want to describe that is like I have a clean house and I'm organized, which isn't really a great way to describe that because perfectionism can be toxic. Right. And what I view as something that's toxic is something that bleeds over into like every area. So not only am I required to have a perfect career, then I'm also required to have like a perfect marriage and I'm required to have a perfect children. And that can be very exhausting to try to maintain that image and try to maintain that uh, perfection. And and one thing that I noticed, too, is that oftentimes people who operate from a space of perfectionism or that perfection, they have maybe like a childhood with some neglect or there are some deep rooted feelings of inadequacy and people aren't going to praise you for being not good enough. But people will like, you know, applaud you or idolize you for being perfect. Mm hmm. And that goes back to the cycle that we just talked about, right? Like you have been doing things so perfectly, quote unquote, throughout your life that people then just continue to expect you to kind of show up in spaces and do all of this great work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I would imagine that some of that, if you are not careful, can really lead to burnout. Yes. Yes, absolutely. One of the syndromes. So I like to create these syndromes, Dr. Joy, and I don't have like any I haven't done any research in the area, so I know that's like a pop on the hand for us, but it comes up often like in my work. So one of the syndromes that I like have coined, I guess, would be like the sacrificial lamb syndrome, right? A person that's operating from like a sacrificial lamb syndrome feels like if I take care of myself, then someone else will suffer, right? So because I'm the sacrificial lamb, I'm going to be the one like doing the suffering. I'm going to be the one making those sacrifices. I'm going to be the one volunteering myself. I'm not going to ask anyone for help because I don't want to burden anybody else. So I'm going to be the one that takes 
that bears the brunt of that. And oftentimes that's what I find with women, especially Black women in leadership positions, where they feel like they have to be the ones making all of the sacrifices, whether it be with work, family, you know, just those different dynamics. And that goes back to the conversations we have kind of just generally around like self-care and, you know, like making sure that you're taking care of yourself so that you can be available both to yourself and other people. But that kind of goes against this thinking of like, okay, I can't take care of myself because then somebody else will suffer. Right, right. Yeah. And then sometimes what happens with that is when you go out of your way to take care of others, that may not have even been the expectation for them for you. You know, Mm -hmm. so sometimes in this role, there's this resentment that comes up because here I am being the sacrificial lamb and making these sacrifices. But then I don't feel that I have anybody to go to when I need it. And when I do go to people and I need help, that help isn't reciprocated or the help that I offer them isn't really appreciated because that's not quite what they needed or wanted. So it's really it can be really dangerous to operate with this mindset, you know, under this sacrificial lamb mentality, because yeah, it could definitely lead to resentment and burnout. Yeah. This kind of reminds me of the conversation I had with Dr. Franco on the episode about making friends as an adult. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so sometimes we think like, okay, I'm going to overdo it for this person because this is how I would expect them to show up for me. But Mm -hmm. she talked about the fact that we get what we ask for in relationships, not what we put out. So, you know, kind of overextending ourselves and kind of going above and beyond in relationships, we think people will reciprocate that to us. And that is not necessarily true, nor does Mm -hmm. it mean that they don't care. Right. But you have not asked them for that, nor have they asked you for you to be overextending yourselves in the ways we do sometimes. Absolutely. Yep. So the next point you talked about was the pain of the position. So can you say more about that? Yeah. So it can be lonely, you know, it can be lonely operating as somebody in a leadership position. They can feel like they have limited spaces for escape, you know, limited freedom or room to like be human or make a mistake. They can feel like we talked about before, they're carrying their personal issues along with the issues of others simultaneously. So there's a weight that comes along with it. And then there's also this underlying belief that I find often is that I need to suppress to attain success, right? So I have to suppress my feelings. I have to kind of keep my emotions contained in order to be successful because a vulnerable person or a person that is, you know, expressing, freely expressing feelings is not someone that the world view deems as being someone that can be successful. And then there's also the element of needing to the difficulty, like um, we you mentioned before, as far as like making authentic connections. And one thing I find that with my clients that have challenges with making authentic connections, I ask them a simple question. Well, are you being real? And, you know, they're usually like, well, what do you mean? Yeah, I'm being real. But it's difficult to make connections when you're not being real with yourself or you're not presenting as an authentic version of yourself. You know, the phrase like real, recognize real. Uh-huh. and that's there's validity to that, you know? And so I'm wondering, Nata, when these people even come into therapy, right? Because some of the things that you're mentioning seem Mm -hmm. like they would be the antithesis to actually talking to a professional, right? Like, I don't necessarily want people to know that I'm struggling or I can't even be vulnerable with myself. So 
Are there particular things that might happen for like a Black woman in leadership that might lead them to seek therapy? Yeah, yeah. It's very sad to say. And that's why I think it's so important that we're having this conversation because typically when they come to therapy is when the bottom falls out. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. when things have become so overwhelming that it's starting to interfere with their ability to lead. And it's starting to attack those areas that they value so much. They're like, I have to do something like it's a last resort instead of being something that, you know, could be handled, you know, a little sooner when there isn't all that, you know, all these issues happening and things are more challenging and harder to navigate and to to handle. They usually come when when things are just falling apart. Yeah. And do you think it is like a lack of recognizing that things are kind of spiraling? Like, what do you think makes it difficult for them to maybe reach out for the help? I think it is a lack of recognition to some degree, but also I feel like it's it's just hard to wrap. What I'm finding with the leaders that I work with is sometimes it's hard to rep for them to wrap their brain around the fact that I can't figure this out. Yes, especially because, when you go back to the perfectionism piece that you mentioned, right? Right, right. Because most of them are very competent. They're very good at what they do. And they're very good at problem solving for others. So when it comes to their individual challenges, it's like, I should be able to figure this out. I should be able to work this out on my own. And there's this idea of weakness that comes with not being able to resolve their own problems. And I like to look at it as when I explain it to them as to like, you know, what could be a a reason why it's difficult for them to work through and navigate what it is that they're dealing with. I always mention perspective and position. And depending on where your position is going to alter how your perspective on the situation. So one reference I like to use is like watching a scary movie. I don't like scary movies. I don't, mm-mm, I don't like to be uh, <laughs> like, I just don't want to use that. Like why, why be scared? Right. You know, it's plenty of things to be scared with. Why watch something that's going to make you scared? But one thing with scary movies is, you know how it is when you're watching a movie, you're like, where are you going? Why are you running in there? Look at something <laughs> behind you, right? Right. Because you're on the outside looking in. So you have a different viewpoint. You know that, you know, the killer is behind the corner around, you know, behind the shed or whatever. They don't know that because they're in the situation. So a lot of times it's like that with leaders. When you're in a situation or when you are anxious or you're emotionally activated, um, your fight, flight or freeze response, you know, gets gets activated. And when that's activated, the only thing you know how to do is fight, flight or freeze. But when you're in the outside looking in, which is a position of like a therapist, you know, we're not necessarily emotionally attached to their experience. We have a different perspective and we can help them navigate what they're going through a little bit better than them trying to do it on their own. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the great tools that we can teach clients as therapists, right, is this perspective taking. So Mm -hmm. initially, when they come to us, we are kind of taking a perspective on their lives. But eventually, we're teaching them, like, how can you do this for yourself? Like, if you were watching your life play out in a movie, Mm -hmm. what kinds of things might you recognize that you maybe can't when you're like in the movie and you're the main character? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I want to go back to your point, Unetta, about kind of leadership being really lonely, because I know we see more and more research coming out about like loneliness being an epidemic and how that impacts our mental health. And I think that you're right, especially in some circles where you might be 
if not the only, maybe one of few Black women like in a leadership position, I think it would be really hard to figure out where support might be able to come from. Mm-hmm. So what, yeah. are your, so what are some suggestions or things that you've worked with on your clients to kind of figure out where support might be able to come from for them? Yeah, I think it's really important to find and sometimes even create safe spaces where you can be transparent. You know, transparency is difficult. A lot of my clients, what I work with is kind of helping them to understand like what their insecurities are and how those insecurities can get in the way of them being able to show up as their most authentic self. But understanding that, you know, vulnerability is how we connect. You know, when you view vulnerability as a weakness, it can cause you not to want to be vulnerable. But if you understand that there is power in your vulnerability and that vulnerability is that piece that's necessary for you to make those connections, then it's a lot easier to start to create safe spaces, you know. I think it's great, like if you can get to that place, but some of the Mm -hmm. stuff that you've already talked about in terms of like the perfectionism and like, okay, I do good at solving other people's problems. I don't necessarily really think I have any. I think those things would make it difficult to be really transparent. So how do you even back them up to get to a space of like being able to be transparent in like a situation with a stranger? I think therapy sometimes is the catalyst for that to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, because there is the element of confidentiality that's Mm -hmm. present, Mm -hmm. you know, knowing that if I share this with you, then you by law can't share it with anybody else. You know what I mean? So that provides a sense of safety and then finding safe spaces or even sometimes creating safe spaces. Like there's a local group here in my town where a lady has created a space for people to come and share and be transparent and they sign NDAs, you know, Mm -hmm. so that may offer some sense of like, you know, comfort knowing that, you know, you have signed something that states that you won't share anything that we, you know, that we communicate in this space. So I think it's important to just not jump all into it. Like, okay, I need to be transparent. And then I'm just, you know, sharing my business and just sharing everything and word vomiting on everyone. But I think it's just really taking your time to like test the waters, to just open up a little bit with someone, like listen to them, like be authentic and seeing where it goes. I know a lot of leaders struggle with um, transparency because they've been burned, Mm -hmm. you know, and or their trust has been violated. But I think it's important to understand that, like, you have to start somewhere and you have to start slow and that, you know, allowing time and space. Kind of be your teachers, right? Like you said, start with sharing a little bit about yourself and then seeing how people react or, you know, can you trust them? Is it safe to share what you shared? And then you gradually continue sharing once you can, once you know that you can trust the space. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's There's again a, where why therapy, I think, is a great way to like test that, right? Like mm-hmm. you said, you know, legally we are required to, you know, kind of keep our mouths shut about what's shared in therapy. But I think it is also just a great way of you practicing being authentic with another human being and kind of seeing what happens with that information. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There's another little term that I have, and it's called post-transparency syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. 
So this is like when you feel vulnerable and you feel like an intense wave of anxiety and regret after you've been transparent and you like want to completely crawl under a rock and you want to undo everything you did and everything you said, showing like how you really felt or where you really are. And I think what happens with that is when you're transparent, individuals feel like they don't give themselves credit for the bravery that's necessary to be transparent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they they walk away from the situation feeling like, man, I, I'll never do that again. Instead of looking at it like, wow, that was really brave of me to like show up, you know, uh-huh. and open myself up and be vulnerable and connect. Yeah, because I think, again, you know, especially with this kind of a population, right, when you're somebody who is a leader, sometimes things come to you really easily. And so you don't always give yourself credit for what may seem like, oh, that was just a little thing. But it really can be a big thing in terms of like you're becoming more emotionally available and more emotionally healthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So I'm guessing that a part of what also makes it really difficult to be transparent and, you know, makes it difficult to have authentic connections is if you have not really kind of done your own work in working through your own insecurities. So can you say more about like insecurities in leadership? Yes. Yes. Insecurities are huge. Right. And all of us have insecurities. Okay, let's just put that out there. Right. And if somebody says they don't have an insecurity, that basically means that their insecurity is you knowing that they have an insecurity. (laughs) So, so, um, but one thing about insecurities is insecurities can create like a bridge or barrier between you being like a perfect or an excellent leader. And I'll break down like the difference between a perfect leader and an excellent leader, right? So when you're a leader and you're striving for perfection, then you have this unrealistic pressure um, perfection is subjective, so it's going to be based on that, that individual's experience and their opinion. You can't please everybody, right? And everybody has an opinion. So when you are operating from a place of perfection, your meter is constantly going to be wavering, right? On a good day, people may like what you're doing and they may think you're awesome. And then on the other day, then they're going to think, you know, you're horrible, And what you're doing is irrelevant and it's not trending or whatever the case may be. So perfection is really not attainable. But when you strive to be like an excellent leader, then you're striving to operate from the best of your ability. Like this is going to be aligned with like your core beliefs. You're going to be focused on showing up like as the best version of you. And this is going to be not considering your individual life experience, your resources and your present circumstances. But one thing I like to look at in terms of insecurities is that your insecurities come to offer you insight. So insecurities are kind of like a gift. So instead of trying to cover them, it's good for us to like be curious about them. Like, where is this insecurity coming from? Like, what is this insecurity coming to like show me? And knowing that sometimes those insecurities are how we are able to like make connections. So looking at it more as information as opposed to anything that we need to judge. Right, right. Yeah. Which I think can be difficult, right? Because when you hear the word insecurities, I think most people kind of, there's a negative connotation there, right? It's something that I don't necessarily like about myself or something that I don't feel as good about, but it is just information because we are all human. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So something that we haven't touched on, you know, that I would love to hear your thoughts about, you know, because I think that there is like traditional leadership. Right. But I think now with the advance of technology and social media, like leadership is not just in your community or in your organization. Like there is also, I think, leadership that comes along with sharing things on social media. Right. So people have like huge platforms. You were there at the will to be will conversation. We had a conversation about you know, like just feeling exposed when you have a social media platform and like worried about like what kind of feedback you're going to get. I'm wondering if that's something that has come up with your clients as well. Yes, it does come up. Pretty much now being a leader is really connected to your ability to be visible. Uh And with social media being here, things are like visible times like a thousand, right? Because you know, whereas before, say something came out or there was some information that you may feel shame or regret about, you know, it can kind of be contained into this limited space. But now if something comes out, like everyone has access to you and everyone has access to your information, that's a lot of pressure. You know, there's a lot of pressure that comes along with that. So I think it is important to look at that for leadership as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned this idea of being visibility because that's something we talk about a lot as therapists, right? That, you know, again, with the advent of more technology, clients are going to Instagram and Facebook and Twitter to like find therapists or to talk to at least research you. And there's the only way they're going to find you is if you are visible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so a lot of therapists have been struggling with like, how do I be become more visible on social media? And is that an okay thing to do? And what kinds of things should I share. So I do think it, it it is a conversation that we're going to be continuing to have as technology continues to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's important too to, to know that just because you're a leader and just because you are visible doesn't mean you always have to be visible, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's important to safeguard your, you know, the things that you don't want. Yeah, we want to be vulnerable, but we also want to be wise in uh, what we share and who we allow into those spaces and, you know, creating safe spaces that don't have to always be connected to social media or having those places of that you can go to that everyone doesn't have access to. Because as a leader, people already have so much access to you and your life and they can cause you to feel like, you know, I have to, that's, connected to the belief that you have to be perfect because people are always watching and always looking. So sometimes being very intentional about creating those safe spaces within your, within your life and within your social media as well, you know, you want to be vulnerable so that you can connect, but then you also want to be wise so that that doesn't get tainted. Mm -hmm. um, and, And so that you're not overexposed. Yeah. So I would imagine, you know, that a large part of your work with your clients struggling with these kinds of things is looking at their self-care and how do they, you know, do a better job of, you know, setting better boundaries and those kinds of things. What are some of the things that you typically find yourself recommending to your clients to really kind of break down some of that perfectionism and the need to kind of be everywhere and, you know, kind of always be doing the things? Yeah. So, of course, first and foremost is therapy, right? Uh-huh, they're right. already there. But there is so much beauty in being able to sit in a space with somebody who doesn't need anything from you. 
right? As a leader, when people are constantly pulling from you and people expecting something from you, it's good to have those spaces. And it doesn't always have to be within the therapeutic setting, but it can be like with, you know, family members or just people who can see you for you. They know who you are and they're not requesting anything of you. They don't need anything from you, but they just want to enjoy that time and space with you. I think it's important that leaders have an escape. And when I say escape, I'm not saying like you're working for a vacation. I love vacations. Vacations are awesome. But we need to have a way to have a vacation every day. So whether it be like a space in your home or whether it be something that you do outside of the work setting, I find a lot of leaders, they say, you know what, I love my job and I enjoy work so much that that's my escape. Work can't be your escape. (laughs) You know, having something that you have that you do, whether it be, you know, like painting or exercise or walking, like having something that you do that gets you away from your title, gets you away from your role, gets you away from the responsibility and allows you to have space to like be a human just being and not be a human that's always doing. I think kind of going back to your first point about meeting with a therapist or somebody who doesn't need anything from you, mm-hmm. I would guess that that's a reason why a lot of people really feel uncomfortable with therapy is mm-hmm. because they have kind of painted this narrative of themselves that they are the one who does, you know, yeah. and that's the value they bring to relationships. And so what kind of relationship could I even possibly be in where they don't need something from me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point because it's uncomfortable. Yeah, you know, because you're operating outside of a role that you're you're used to operating in. Like I have it when I'm in here doing everything for everybody, but if I have to be the one that needs help or I have to be the vulnerable person, that can be very uncomfortable, and and then it causes you to to have to check your ego. You know, and the ideas that you set up for yourself of what you are supposed to do and how you're supposed to show up like in the world and with others, you know, so it can cause you to check. Like, how do you view people that are, quote unquote, subordinate to you? Do you view them as being weaker? You know, and is that why it's difficult for you to assume that position of help? So it really causes you to really look at both sides of the spectrum. And it can also give you space to have more empathy for others because you're now in a position that you traditionally like see other people in. Mm-hmm. Great point, Tianetta. So are there some resources like books, podcasts, TV shows, anything that you kind of find yourself recommending over and over to your clients? One of the new books that I'm reading now is Restored at the Root. It's by Bishop Joseph Walker. It's really talking about like getting to the root of your problems and issues and kind of what presents, you know, problems for you and really kind of getting to the root of like these dysfunctional cycles that you find yourself in. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. I love all Brene Brown's work on vulnerability. She has a book, Dare to Lead. That's really good. There's a book called Ordering Your Private World. That one is a really good book. So I love Stephen Furtick. He's a I like a lot of, um, I listen to a lot of preachers and stuff. He has a podcast that's amazing. And it's just his messages. And of course, like Sarah Jakes, I listen to a lot of her stuff too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And self-compassion. I know that's a resource that's been mentioned often, but that book is amazing. Really helping you to get out of your head and helping you to offer yourself compassion instead of harsh critiques and to get out of that perfectionist mentality. I often 
ask my clients a lot, like, what did, you know, maybe that younger version of you need in that space and situation? And that helps them to kind of be more tender and compassionate with themselves when they find themselves being stuck. Nice. Those are great resources. So, of course, we will definitely include those in the show notes. And where can we find you, Yunetta? What is your website for your practice, as well as any social media handles you want to share? For my practice, it's springforthcounseling.org. And I'm also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as Springforth Counseling as well. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today, Yunetta. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This is a joy to talk to you. No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad Yunetta was able to share her expertise with us today. To find out more information about her and her practice or the resources that she shared, be sure to check out our show notes at therapyforblackgirls.com slash session 130. Please remember to share this episode with two people in your circle and don't forget to share your takeaways with us either on Twitter or in your IG stories using the hashtag TBG in session. Remember that if you're searching for a therapist in your area, be sure to check out our therapist directory at therapyforblackgirls.com directory. And if you want to continue digging into this topic and meet some other sisters in your area, come on over and join us in the Yellow Couch Collective where we take a deeper dive into the topics from the podcast and just about everything else. You can join us at therapyforblackgirls.com slash YCC. Thank y'all so much for joining me again this week. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take good care. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girl Bomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girl Bomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, 
a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. 